The following sermon is from Redemption Bible Church of New Braunfels, where we are proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology in order to fulfill the Great Commission in the spirit of the Great Commandment. Hey, if you're with us today for the first time, you are with us on a monumental Sunday in the short history of our church. As equally as important as launch Sunday was to us, October 1st, now December 10th, 2017, is a red-letter day to record and to remember and to celebrate. Why? Because today is the day that we uh, launch in full force our small group ministry. And so this is, yeah, that's right. It is an exciting day as uh, we launch this. It's the biblical compliment. As you'll see here in a minute, we're going to get to the word to uh, show you why this is the case. But it's a small group ministry is the biblical compliment to what we're doing right now, to the Sunday morning worship gathering. Today, we would say that the two cycle engine of the church is really firing up. Or, as we'll see through the rest of our sermon and the illustration that we'll use, it is two sides to the same coin of corporate Christian life. And so our Christian life lived out together has two different sides to the same coin. So turn with me, if you haven't, to Acts 2. That's going to be the passage of Scripture that we're in. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, just put your hand up and our ushers will get you that. They'll also get you a copy of the sermon notes, if you don't have one of those, or a pen, and also one of these small group sign-up little sheets that uh, maybe you got one when you came in if you snuck by and didn't get that. But when they also come here is we're also going to do something a little different. And so I'm going to ask our ushers to come forward and we're going to pass the offering bags one more time. I what? Yeah, you know, we just need... No, no, today, this is kind of like a refund. It's actually maybe like a reverse tithe. And so they're going to pass the offering bags. Come on up, uh, ushers. And uh, as it goes by, you get to take out one of these 50-cent pieces, a half dollar. I figured I was going to just ask, hey, pull out coins from your pocket, but none of us carry coins anymore, do we? Anybody have coins in their pocket? My grandfather's really the only person I know that still carries change in his pocket. But so here, just take one. It's okay. It's okay. You're, if you put offering in there before, it's already been taken out and counted and taken care of with uh, integrity and accountability and all those things. And so this is just a way. I want you to take this. Keep it handy. You can keep this. It's, it's our gift to you. Um, and uh, it, you're going to see why, because this is going to be a, uh, um, a part of our illustration today. But keep this half dollar handy. We got them? All right. What I want you to know here, vertical church, this is the main point of our sermon, vertical church and uncommon community are the coin of corporate Christian life. So just as I said, this is the two sides to the same coin every week making spiritual deposits into your spiritual bank account. Vertical church, what we're doing now, and uncommon community are the coin, a singular coin of corporate Christian life lived out together. And so look at Acts 2 uh, with me now. We're going to um, take this whole chapter, and as we get into it, there's a few things that you need to know. Acts chapter 2, this is the birth of the church. It's the birthday here. Everything changed in uh, Christian history, in, the, in really human history, 50 days after Christ ascended, after Christ rose and went to heaven. The Holy Spirit came as promised to indwell believers in a new way, as Jesus said, that when the Spirit would come, it would be better uh, for us, that it was better that Jesus would die and go away and the Holy Spirit would come. And so here's a summary of the entire book of Acts, okay? Here's a summary. It's on the screen for you now. Acts, book of Acts, is the story of how a Jewish community 
became an international, multi-ethnic movement of God's people advancing the gospel. That's what the entire book of Acts is all about. It's the story, it's the narrative, it's the history of how this small little Jewish community multiplied out to the ends of the earth and now we are even a, a part of that, that history, of that narrative. And how did they do it? They did it through disciple making, through the fulfillment of the Great Commission and church planting. I'll just tell you now as we get into this, this is still our method. Nothing has changed for the church in 2,000 or so years. There's still work to be done. The commission hasn't altered. We're still to make disciples. And if we are a Christian, and particularly a Christian in our church, we, that's our life purpose. That's why we exist. And everything in your life, your job, your work, your family, the money, the time, the things that God has given you is a means to accomplish that mission in the grand scheme of things. Okay? That's why we exist. That's what the book of Acts is all about. And so Acts 2 now really shows us then what kind of churches were being planted. And so two significant sides to the same coin. Heads, vertical church. Tails, uncommon community. So let's look at side one, vertical church. The first 41 verses. Don't worry, I'm not going to read it all at once to put you to sleep. But what is a vertical church here? What are the marks of a vertical church? Well, first, what we do when we gather is a high-impact service. Look at Acts 2, verses 1 to 4. As I said here, when the day of Pentecost arrived, 50 days after Jesus rose, okay, they were all together in one place. They're gathered together. And what makes it a high-impact service? Because who is present the Holy Spirit is present. All of a sudden, there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as a fire appeared on them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And so here in this high-impact service, the Holy Spirit is present, and, and we have really a unique situation in church history. And so the Holy Spirit shows up, and, and he enables all all, uh, many of these people, not all of them, but many of the people, the apostles in particular, to speak different languages because there were diverse worshipers in the house, okay? That's where the next uh, uh, verses go to, but I want you to, I, I just want to talk about this for a minute. It's, it's a unique event here as these guys are given a supernatural ability to proclaim the gospel and to speak in languages so that others that were there that didn't speak the language that was being spoken, most likely Hebrew or Aramaic or something, there would be able to understand the good news of Jesus Christ. And so there are some, you know, um, uh, differing opinions on w w what this is and how it continues on for today and all that. But what I will say is that this is a unique event, uh, unlike any other event in human history. Here at the birth of the church, God shows up in a unique way. So that way the gospel can advance and multiply in mass. And as you look just through the scope of scripture, I just want to point this out. Some of the, the more miraculous things, the sign gifts and whatnot, really show up in, in uh, you know, the chronology of human history in three strategic times, and all for about 60 years or so. The first was with Moses, right? Moses was given an ability. Moses and Aaron there were given an ability to perform signs and wonders unlike anybody else. And at, that was at a strategic time as God was moving his people out of slavery and into freedom, into the promised land. And so God, in the way that only he could do, supernaturally intervened, gifted men with specific, supernatural, unique gifts to lead them out there. 
And then they largely went away. Until then, two other guys, two prophets, Elijah and Elisha, are given supernatural abilities also at a strategic time as God's people were in uh, these kingdoms and going into captivity and whatnot. And it was a means that God used and gifted people to, uh, to, to warn the, the believers, those people, his people at that time, that judgment was coming to get their act together. And so he gifted these guys with these gifts and whatnot at that period. Period. Then, I kind of go off the scene, right? Maybe here or there, God still, you know, interacts. He still can supernaturally intervene. We're not uh, denying that. And then, again, at a third period, here when, uh, at, uh, after Christ has come, Christ has gone away, there we see Jesus and the apostles. And now at the beginning of the early church, another strategic shift as now the gospel is being proclaimed to the Gentiles, to the rest of the world. Now, God gifts certain uh, men here with supernatural gifts for the advancement of the gospel. And so we see these kind of blips on the screen at different times in human history that God inter intervenes and interacts and, and enables people with specific gifts. Now, is God always inter intervening? Is God still daily present in our lives and in the, the lives of believers and in churches around the globe? You bet. It's not as though he just like showed up and then, you know, peaced out for several hundred years. That's not it. But he gives gifts where people have these certain gifts at certain times. And that we can't make the case that that is always happening now that certain people have those gifts, even though they claim to him. I know we're opening kind of a can of worms here. Um, but, uh, but I just want to point out that in this particular scenario, this is a very unique event as the church is being birthed. And the result that comes from it is incredible. It's a high-impact service. The Holy Spirit is present. And look what happens. Look, what, look who else is there. It's diverse worshipers. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. Wow, talk about a multi-ethnic group of people. And at this sound, the multitude came together. So they hear this commotion. They gather together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. Wow, they were amazed and astonished saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native tongue? And now here's a bunch of countries and a bunch of regions of the world at that time. Parthenians and Medes, this is verse nine, and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome. I mean, that's people in every direction. Both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others were mocking. They said, they're filled with wine, right? They're just drunk. We have this high-impact service. The Holy Spirit is there doing what only he can do. Diverse worshipers, multi-ethnic gathering of people, and there are leaders leading. Look in verse 14 as it continues on. These marks of a vertical church. What is it? What is a high-impact service? What do we do? Peter then, he stands with the 11. Here's the apostles. He lifted up his voice and he addressed them, and he begins to preach then. Here we see this last one, unapologetic preaching. He begins to preach maybe one of the best sermons of his life. Not the best sermon ever. That's probably the Sermon on the Mount, right? Jesus uh, sermon there in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. But probably Peter's 
most profound sermon gifted by the Holy Spirit here to proclaim the gospel. And so look here as it, I want to just read it because it's, it's worth of us to hear his message here because he's going to lay out salvation and he's going to use the Old Testament. He's going to show how Jesus uh, coming and all this was prophesied and foretold before it even happened. What a reminder that we have even now as we're in this Christmas season that these things were foretold hundreds and thousands of years ago from where we stand right now and they came to be exactly as God had predetermined and God had planned. Listen here, his message. This is the end of verse 14. He says, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words for these people are not drunk as you suppose since it is only the third hour of the day. It's the morning. It's like 9 a.m. Surely they're not drunk at this point. Verse 16, but this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. Quoting from Joel 2 here. And in the last days it shall be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams even on my male servants and female servants. In those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy and I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes in the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Time out. Have you done that? Have you called upon the name of the Lord for your salvation? Don't miss this opportunity. Here's the opportunity that God, by his Holy Spirit, is maybe prompting you, if you've not called upon Jesus, to be your Savior. Do it now. So God, just, just call upon him. God, I, I can't save myself. I recognize that I am trying to do this alone. And I'm, I'm just caught. I'm stuck. But I call upon you, Jesus, for my salvation. I trust you. I don't know what all this means yet. I don't, uh, I'm not sure what lies ahead. I know that it comes at a great cost, but Christ, I call upon your name. Have you done that? Will you do that in your own heart? You will be saved. Let's continue to talk about it. Verse 22 continues on here, this great sermon. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. No one can deny that. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Jesus didn't come and is like, oh no, what's happening? Now I'm gonna die. No, we celebrate on Christmas. Jesus came for the purpose to die, to be our substitute to pay the penalty that we could not pay. But then what did he do? Look at verse 24. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death. Death could not hold him, right? What? Because it was not possible for him to be held by it. It wasn't possible for God to die. And so he was raised up. David prophesied this. This is from Psalm 16. He says, I saw the Lord always before me. For he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. This is great reason to be joyful, right? Verse 27, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Wow. 
Verse 29, brothers, I say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, he was a king of the Old Testament, just so you know, a mighty man, especially uh, used of God, also in a unique way about the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. David was a mere mortal, not to be worshipped, a unique guy, a specially used man in God's own purposes, but he did die. Those verses are not speaking of him, they're speaking of Jesus. Look at verse 30, being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. What he's saying there, just look here for a second, what he's saying is what you are experiencing right now is the exact fulfillment of, the, of a prophecy that was made long ago. And what Jesus himself said, that the Holy Spirit would come and, and Peter's opening their eyes to saying, guys, this, pro- this prophecy is being fulfilled right before our very eyes. How incredible is that? Wow. Verse 34, now, for David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself said, he himself, this is Psalm 110, if you're curious, he said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. David himself bowed to the Lord, knew his place, even as a king, as a Lord, that Jesus was the Lord of lords. Verse 36, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus, whom you crucified. What an incredible message, right? This is a mark. This is a distinguishing uh, mark of a vertical church. High impact worship service, Holy Spirit present, doing the work that only he can do. A multi-ethnic, multi-generational body of believers sitting under the unapologetic proclamation of God's word, the good news of Jesus Christ. And what's the result of that? When that happens, when God's people come, when vertical church happens, what's the result? Well, the first is amazement, the second is transformation, and the third is multiplication. Did you catch that all throughout it? Verse 7, just listen here. They're amazed and astonished. They were, they were amazed and perplexed, verse 12 says, that there's amazement when we are here under God's word, when we are a part of a high-impact service with the Holy Spirit, there's, there's just something that is like, wow. I can't believe I get to be a part of this. There's things when we sing songs and and a word or a phrase triggers our heart, right? Like, God, yes, you are the king. Let all the earth, one name we praise, no no other name. When we sit under God's word, there's there's amazement as we watch it come alive, not because the preacher is, is any good, but because God's word is good and alive and living among us. But transformation also happens. Look at verse 37. They hear this sermon and what happens? They were what? Somebody say it. They were cut to the heart. That's the goal of every sermon. That's the penetrating work of God's word by his spirit. It comes, we hear it, and we're cut to the heart. We're transformed. Sin is cut out. Rough edges are smoothed out. We're motivated when we're pushed into a godly living. We're, we're equipped to go and to fight against sin and to, uh, and to live a godly life. There's transformation that happens, even specifically repentance and faith. Look what, they cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, the people are hearing this. and like, brothers, well, what shall we do then? 
We hear this good news. We hear that Jesus has come. We hear that this is the fulfillment of prophecy. And verse 38 tells us, And Peter said to them, Repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. Call upon the name of the Lord. Repent of your sin. Repent means to turn away from him. It's no longer a part of you. Your sin is no longer your master. You're repenting. You're turning and you're walking towards Christ. And we're told to be baptized then. Baptism is that outward identification with the inward change that God has wrought in our heart. That's the next step that God gives us. An act of obedience. It doesn't save us. It's not like something magical that happens as we are uh, immersed in the water. But it is our way to tell those around us what we know God has done in our heart. We're saying, I identify with Jesus I was once a, 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 a sinful person. I was my old man, and I'm going down in the water, that old man, and I come up, and as this is symbolic of I am a new creature in Christ. I am being identified with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is my new way of living. If you haven't done that, if you are a believer, then let's do it, and let's celebrate the work that God has done in your life. That's the right response to what God has done. Amazement, transformation, but not only that, but multiplication. Look at verse 40. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, so he continues on his message, right? They ask, well, what do we do? And he keeps like a good preacher. He just keeps preaching, right? He says this, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Verse 41, so those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day, how many? Are we reading that right? How many people? 3,000. You want to talk about a meeting, right? I mean, that's a ton of people and people that were saved and were baptized. Multiplication happens in vertical churches. People hear the word, they respond and are saved. That's some supernatural growth that only God can do. We're charged with preaching the gospel, being faithful, being here to uh, serve with the gifts that God has given us, to, to listen intently to God's word. We are here and multiplication happens as those, the lost are saved, the saved are matured, and the mature are multiplied all to God's glory. That's what happens in vertical church. That's what we see here. So what is vertical church? How could we define it then? You're like, that's a whole lot of stuff. Make it shorter for me. I need something simple. I need something clear. We would say this, vertical church defined are God's people gathering to elevate and honor God's son in mind and heart. That's what we do every Sunday. That's why we come here. That's why we gather here. It's, it, we gather here and we say we're a vertical church because we believe that the church is for God and not for us. It exists for God, not for us. And every day, every, or every Sunday rather, every Lord's Day, we should both come in and walk away with a greater view, belief, and faith in the greatness of God and his son Jesus. That's why we gather. And that's what changes everything. That's why, we, that, that's why these pillars are non-negotiable. That's why we worship in spirit and truth and we unapologetically proclaim Christ. We, we pray unceasingly with boldness. We share the good news. That's why those pillars are vital and non-negotiable because when we do those things then the horizontal results then the transformation the amazement the multiplication that we all want to see in our own lives is the byproduct of being vertical we take care of what's on God's heart he then takes care of what's on our heart it is that fundamental belief that we gather in heart and mind to elevate and to honor Christ to give him our best and then he takes care 
of the rest. And so every Lord's Day, you're making a deposit into your spiritual bank account. Every Sunday, we do that as we gather. But that's just side one. Because it doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop there. The investment doesn't. There's a second side to the coin. Look at where it goes in verse 42. Side two is uncommon community. And this is why today is so important. Because up until this point, for the last 10 or 11 Sundays, however long we've been gathering, we've really been operating on one-sided. And so now as we launch this two side, the second side to this coin... This uncommon community, we're now really fully making the investment into our spiritual bank account. So look here where it begins. Uncommon community begins with a uh, unifying convictions. It's an uncommon commitment. Look at these four things that they are devoted to, that they are uncompromising about. You've probably heard this multiple times. It's, if you've been in church any length of time, this is a key verse. It says, And they devoted themselves to four things, to the apostles' teaching, teaching of the scriptures. Just mind you, I'm, I'm not an apostle here. This is, uh, I just devote myself to the apostles' teaching as well, what we have recorded in scripture. They're also devoted to the fellowship, gathering together, sharing life together, doing those things that they, that they gather together, to the breaking of bread. Some debate about that, but it's likely communion. They're, they're devoted to uh, remembering and commemorating Christ through the Lord's table, through the Lord's supper or communion and to the prayers, the fourth thing, of praying intentionally for one another. These are the four non-negotiables that they all were committed to, that they were all devoted to. These four, four things, these non-negotiables, this, that began with a unifying conviction, but where does it go from there? That's what verse 42 and 43 really speak to, and verse 44 now, what's another distinguishing mark of an uncommon community? It's sharing life together. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, right? Verse 46 says, is, is, continues the theme. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with gladness. They were sharing life together. Not only this, they were supporting one another. Look at verse 45. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. I think they were like forming little communes or something like Kind of sounds like a socialistic uh, lifestyle, right? I mean, maybe you could uh, go to that, uh, that length, but I think here what it really shows is that they were just invested in supporting one another. Somebody had a need, who was, who was going to help meet that need? Their small group, the group of people that they were sharing life with. I know that the Hennessy's have a need, so I'm, I'm close to them, I love them, and so they're in my small group, and I'm, I love them, and so I'm gonna help meet their needs, and I'm gonna rally my small group around to, to come with them, selling things if I have to, giving up, making sacrifice of my own time, my own treasure, my own uh, talents to go and to serve them in ways that they need to be supported. So unifying convictions, sharing life, supporting one another. They're also worshiping together. See this? I already read verse 46. They were uh, in the temple together, going to church together, meeting together. Verse 47, and praising God and having favor with all the people. This is an uncommon community here. A group of believers with an uncommon commitment, excuse me, to one another, defined by their unifying convictions, their shared life, their support of one another, and their worship uh, their worship together. 
And what's the result? What happens as they do this together? What happens as they, as they gather together? Same exact thing that happens when we gather together on the Lord's Day to worship vertically. Amazement. What does verse 43 said? And they were filled with awe. They were filled with awe. As, like, I, I can't believe that a group of people, as, as diverse of us, we could come together and there would, awe would fill us. The wonders, the signs that were being done through the apostles there, but as, as, as we gather together in an uncommon community, it's like, I, I'm, I'm amazed by this. Transformation is taking place. Look how they are living a countercultural, uncommon life together. It says they had all things in common. Now that's pretty uncommon, right? But the transformation is happening. People are making sacrifices and using their gifts in ways that they wouldn't maybe normally do. People are being transformed. Look how verse 47 also ends, and they're being multiplied. The Lord added to their number day by day those who are what? Being saved. The result, uncommon community, amazement transformation, God's work in your life, refining you, making you more like Jesus, and multiplication, that being replicated. Because when we see God at work, how can we not tell others about it? We want to share what God is doing. We want others to experience the kind of community, to experience the kind of church that we're a part of, that way that then multiplies out for the glory of God. So simply defined, uncommon community is God's people doing the work of ministry serving and supporting one another in small groups. That's the term that we use around here. Small groups, there's a variety of definitions for that, right? I mean, who's been a part of a small group maybe in a different context? Several people, right? And they range in, in scope and size and, and in purpose and whatnot. Maybe more on the Bible study side, maybe in the support group side, maybe in the fan club, maybe a, you know, just in a social gathering. There's times and places for all of those things, but we use this term, this uncommon community. God's people doing the work of ministry, serving and supporting one another in small groups. Small groups and uncommon community are where the one another's of Scripture are lived out. Are you familiar with the one another's? There's 40-some commands in the New Testament where we are told to love one another. Forgive one another, confess your sin to one another, encourage one another, and build one another up. There's 40 some of those that we're to be living out and applying with God's people in a small group. And that is where those are best lived out among the people where you are known, loved, and cared for in a personal way. This is where that happens. And it is why we must be a church of small groups not just a church with small groups uh, uh, to go along with a, a host of other offerings. Our desire is that everyone who calls Redemption Bible Church their home is fully plugged in and invested into a small group. Because I hope that you see from the scripture here, this isn't just like a fad. This isn't just like some sort of contemporary invention that has come up in the last few decades or whatever, or, or it's just like this uh, counter-offering or replacement to the Sunday school method. No, it's not that, because this, as you see, this has been part of the plan, God's people meeting in small groups under unified conviction, sharing life, supporting one another, and worshiping together since the very beginning since the birth of the church, since the church came on the scene, since the Holy Spirit was present in every believer, this has been the plan. It's been the plan 
for our corporate Christian life, for God's glory and our good. And so it's as if every week, every single week, God is saying to us, get rich, get rich, take the money, it's free, take it, get rich, invest in your bank account, double your investment. Every week we have an opportunity. Sunday comes the first day of every week. And guess what? Beginning in January, small groups will meet every single week. Except for weeks maybe that we don't. (laughs) For, you know, whatever reason. But you have the opportunity to be invested in those people's lives. Even if you don't meet together, our cell phones will still work. Our cars will still work. You know, unless something crazy happens, but you will have that opportunity to double your investment. Why wouldn't we gobble that up? Why would we, why would we not grab it and take it without abandon? You know, why would we not, instead of just taking one coin out, why don't we take a whole handful of coins out and invest it into our spiritual bank account? This is what God wants us to do, but it comes with a risk, doesn't it? Just like every investment, it comes with risk. And so I just want to acknowledge some of these. But you should know that as I acknowledge them, at the end, I'm just going to squash them all. Because they are real risks, but the reward is even greater. And so what are some of the risks? It's the risk of attack. Why don't we invest? Why don't we, you know, come on Sunday? Why don't we invest in small group and be uh, vulnerable with God's people and stuff? Because there is the risk of attack. And not from maybe the enemy that you're initially thinking, but we do have an enemy. The enemy of our soul. The deceiver, Satan, the devil, and when you're, spiritual, or you're serious about your spiritual growth, then he gets pretty serious about you as well. There's nothing more than, than the evil one, what he wants, than just apathetic Christians kind of, you know, being uncommitted, stagnant, not really investing much into their spiritual growth, uh, both personally and also corporately together. It's, uh, there's nothing he wants more than just kind of that laziness, you know. War is easy when your enemy's asleep, Right? We have an enemy who wants to keep you from it, and he will be the one that will put those thoughts into your mind. He'll be the one, uh, you're too tired. You've had a long day. No, this is, you know, so-and-so might be there. You don't want to go, you know, if they only knew what your life was really like, if they only knew the sin that you struggled with or whatnot, there's a risk of attack. Satan will leave you alone with those things when you aren't serious about growing in your faith and being transformed. But when you do start to begin to take it seriously, be prepared but don't be afraid. There's also the relational risk. It can be hard to love people who are different than you, right? Be hard to love people who look different than you. It's difficult to be vulnerable with strangers. Our pride doesn't like to be held accountable to growth and the commitments that we make to live a godly life. You can guarantee that you'll be hurt or offended at some point, that somebody will say something unkind. And that's why it's the perfect opportunity to live out the command to forgive one another. There are relational risks, but they're good and they're right. And finally, there's the recreational risk. It requires a sacrifice of our time, doesn't it? Time or talent, treasure, require that sacrifice. You know, you might have to miss shows. You might have to miss the big game every once in a while. You might have to miss certain things because, you know what, it's, this is important to me. I may have to come home early, require a sacrifice of your treasure as you have to pay for more gas, have to pay for childcare. You're on the snack rotation, so once a month you have to bring snacks to a small group. 
It will require a sacrifice that will take away from your extracurricular recreational life. I think we're too easily satisfied with the safer investments though, right? Those things are safer investments. They don't, they yield lesser temporary gains, but we don't get anything out of them in eternity. But here, let me say, all those risks aside, despite those risks, isn't the reward much greater? Isn't the reward more guaranteed than anything else that we have? That Jesus Christ will continue his work in your life, and these are the means. This is the coin. This is the way that he does it. Isn't the reward more eternal for what he is producing in us as we engage these things. As God produces in us, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, producing in us an eternal weight of glory. There is nothing more eternal that you will invest in in your life than these things. You won't regret regret the investment made into uncommon community and vertical church. It comes with a cost, yes, but the resulting amazement, transformation, and multiplication for God's glory and your good is so worth it. There is nothing that is compared to it. Do you want to be rich in the Lord? Do you want to grow? Do you want to experience those things? Do you want to get out of the rut of of just kind of the ho-hum Christian life? Then let me tell you then, the commitment to these things, then then, then taking that coin and making that investment in small group and in vertical church and worship, all those things will be so worth it to get there. And so that's what we're going to do. As we close now in, uh, in this uh, service, we're going to close with a little vertical worship. We're going to have a, a song. And after this, uh, after this song, I'm just going to prepare you as you're going to have an opportunity to sign up and to respond for small groups. That's why you have this here. We are in January. We're signing up now because we've got to get on the other side of holidays. That would be silly of us to try to begin now, but the relationships can begin to form and all that. And then in January, we will begin to meet with our small groups. And so here is your way to respond and to sign up. If you're new with us, if this is your first week with us, great. We're so thrilled that you're here. We're, 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 we are, would love to have you uh, participate and to learn more about these things. And so I want to talk with you and meet with you after the service and, and we can uh, go from there. But uh, for those of you that call Redemption Bible Church your home, this is your opportunity to respond. And so th- on one side, you fill out your information. If you're married or whatnot, you can just fill out one. You know, you don't get to go to another small group so you can talk bad about your spouse, right? Both should go together and be involved. All of our small groups at this point are mixed small groups, men and women. And so we'll meet together for the initial time uh, for group discussion to talk about the message. And then after that, then uh, we'll uh, have a time of accountability and prayer together, uh, splitting off in men and women um, to, uh, to foster that type of vulnerability together. And, uh, and then have snacks and all that stuff together. But write your information down here. And then on the left-hand side is uh, the three corresponding colors. And so if you look this way with me, you'll see those balloons there. And so right after uh, we sing the song, and I'll prompt you, I want you to take some time to pray together with your spouse and your family if you uh, haven't yet and haven't uh, decided to look at your calendar. We will have small groups that will meet on Monday night, Wednesday night, and Thursday night immediately. And, uh, and they correspond to those balloons there. And so after we sing the song, you'll have a time to do this, pray together, and then you can walk over and meet the small group leaders, hand them this card. They will hand you then another card with their information. Um, if you don't have one of these, uh, Miss Belinda's there. She can get you one if you didn't get one. 
But you'll take that, they'll get you those things, and then our service will be dismissed. But we want to respond in that way. So why don't our worship team come on up? I'm going to pray to get us uh, um, ready to worship one final time as we sing.